to the Event Production Show podcast. These sessions were recorded from our 2022 show and are now available for you to listen to on the move. This session is all about supply chain and demand, with the impact of the pandemic having led to an estimated 25% of live event industry workers leaving the sector. How will suppliers and event operators cope with the shortage of equipment and staff in the 2022 season? Ahead of what promises to be an unprecedented year in terms of event numbers, industry experts discuss how the issue can be best tackled. Okay, hello, hi, good morning, and welcome to the first panel of the day. Um, Obviously, one of the major issues and challenges that we're all facing as an industry um, coming out of the pandemic are the many uh, issues relating to supply chain and, um, and, and uh, soaring costs across, uh, across the industry, really. So um, we've got a great panel of experienced event professionals up here who are going to try and talk through ways we can, as an industry, work through some of these um, challenges and overcome some of the hurdles in the, in the best way possible. Um, I'll introduce the panel. On my immediate left, we have Joanna Wales, who's Head of Venue Operations at Ascot. And on her left is Nick Morgan. He's uh, CEO of event production company We Are The Fair. Um, at, uh, to his left is um, Zach Fox. Uh, she's the CEO of Kilimanjaro Live, which... Um... <laughs> COO. I'm not quite there yet. Aha. COO, sorry. <laughs> um, and Kilimanjaro Live, a uh, very long-established uh, promoters, as you probably all know, but, um, running a series of festivals this year, uh, numerous um, concerts, um, and um, among them being a major tour by uh, Ed Sheeran. Um, and at the very end, we have um, Sarah Hemsley Cole. She's the company director of SC Productions, a very active production company, primarily working in Wales. Mm, and over. Okay. <laughs> Right, well, okay, look, Nick, just to start with you, I just wanted to get a flavour for uh, how this, because you generally work with hundreds of events across the country, um, and, um, you know, you've got your fingers in many pies, so can you just give me a feel for how this year is panning out for you, compared to, you know, pre-pandemic normal uh, seasons? Uh, yeah, without boring everyone's senseless, obviously one of the things is supply chain. So that value chain's been decimated. We've got some significant events like Commonwealth Games, Jubilee, which are extraordinary events, uh, which takes obviously a lot of inventory out of the supply. There's less kit, less suppliers. Some suppliers sold to prop up their balance sheets during the pandemic, so sold off kits of construction. Uh, so there is genuinely less kit here, which has obviously then had an impact on pricing. So there's been a massive incremental increase in pricing so yeah it, there's a lot of pressure obviously a lot of shows we're involved with are carrying tickets from previous years so there, there hasn't been that increase to sort of buffer the uplift in those prices so some shows even on sellout could be looking at a loss you know just because of that carrying of tickets so it, it is really problematic and actually securing the kit the, the sort of terms that you need like some suppliers want 100 percent on day one uh, that doesn't mimic, obviously, the ticketing, so the drawdown on ticketing, which happens maybe on a weekly basis. So it's putting a lot of pressure on both the promoters and us. You know, we're the intermediaries, effectively, our clients and promoters, but we have to, you know, offset and run that budget and pay those suppliers. So it is it's pretty pretty tough, and I have got some major concerns about this season. So, so I mean, uh, in terms of the number of events you're working on, it's less than, say, 2019. Yeah, so. purposefully. I mean, we've turned down... I've probably turned down 30, 40 shows this year just because of my nervousness with that, you know, and the current landscape. I just think there's going to be, there could be some serious issues and serious, whether it be health and safety led, 
just it not arriving on site. You know, what people haven't probably uh, sort of estimated or taken into consideration is any failure in that supply chain. So if kit gets, if there's a particularly biblical storm, say at Glastonbury, that kit will get stuck there and people in their production schedules will get delayed and have no impact on the whole season. So any show that's delayed and you can't get kits out, like Trackway, for example, is going to have a major impact on the whole season. So for me, I, which is very hard for me to do, given my main role in selling and onboarding new clients, uh, I've you know, talked about consolidation a lot within our business and getting through this year, seeing it as consolidation, and all my efforts are around 2023, which is a huge increase for us. It's probably doubling the amount of shows we currently do if we obviously get them across the line. If I was a festival promoter looking to kind of come into the industry for the first time this year, what would your advice be? Don't. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just think it's really like if you know if you haven't got those relationships with suppliers, it's going to be even harder. Uh, I, I just think this year of all years and ticketing, whilst there was lots of buoyant moments, obviously with the current global landscape with what's going on in Ukraine, you know we're seeing a lot of shows tank in terms of ticket sales just because it isn't you know perceptively probably the thing that people want to immediately turn to is ticketing. I think there there will be then a huge increment thinking when we get to the summer season and the weather changes. But I, I just think this year, personally, is, is, is a lot of risk. Uh, and if I could de-risk things, I wouldn't be choosing this year to launch a new show. I know there are shows launching, but for me, uh, I would be, especially as a new promoter, I think there's risk. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Zach, I just wanted to come to you. Obviously, you're owned by um, Diag, a big, big German company, Germany-based German company, um, and um, they have kind of been growing their UK reach, I guess, with various acquisitions um, and one of them was UK Live I believe yeah. a promoting company who who you know own a, who own a, um, a series of festivals so that now comes under your umbrella and, and you're actually launching um, uh, is it um, Neck of the Woods Festival which yeah is... and there's also a, a perfect day down in Exeter in the same way it's a single day festival that sits on the site that's being built for the Let's Rock Festival the good thing about Let's Rock is that they own almost everything that they they tour um, 14 weekend through the summer just moving the festival and they own all that kit so they're protected from the supply issues there but they still need security and bar staff and and, you know, and trucks the trucks have been a problem they've managed to, i think they're sorted for this year now but that has been a, that's been a challenge for them but yeah whether you're trying to start new events but as nick says avoid doing anything brand new even though you know we do have good relationships with suppliers i think that to put more pressure on them by us then saying to them we need you to supply this event is unfair so if we can do it we can start new events without uh, putting more pressure onto suppliers and that seems like a good idea to us okay with, you, with UK Live owning quite a bit of its infrastructure yeah that was obviously that's I, mean, I understand that that deal was kind of in, or, or you know starting to come to being discussed I guess pre-pandemic yeah so it wasn't an intentional thing at that stage but it's been quite fortunate in the way that yeah. things rolled out. They? I know, we did it entirely on purpose. <laughs> we looked at that as a model and thought, that's a great idea. No, it, it, the, the, the assets that they came with were, weren't what we were, you know, that wasn't what our target was. It was, it was a bonus, but it has turned out to be a, an extremely very good position. You know, my boss is very good at making accidental great decisions, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, great praise. I wonder, I'm just, I'm just wondering whether you will expect to see now promoters start to look at that in terms of, um, investing in their own yeah. infrastructure. Well, it's more encouraged more. us massively because we've, we own a 
load of fence up in Inverness where we have Velodrome Festival. That kind of came with the festival as well, just because it's so far north, they found it hard to get supply. But we've never really thought about owning kit before, but we have now bought ourselves a stage because we were let down, well, not let down, one of our suppliers just had to say, we cannot supply you anymore. It just takes us too long to get there and back. So we, we went for the live, uh, the Let's Rock model, bought ourselves a stage. We also have an in for Hessian, if anybody uh, wants any Hessian. Um, so yeah, we're kind of trying to do it ourselves because we can't rely on the suppliers. Now, the difference with we're doing it, if we've got that stage, we know it's going to turn up on the right day because it's, it's our control. And as Nate was saying, I completely agree with that. You know, we're booking stuff and we're POing it and we're putting down deposits, but then we're going to be like this, particularly when it comes to forklift trucks. I think that's the thing that's going to be our biggest worry this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Joanna, how's the um, year panning out for you? And in terms of the number of events, are, is, it, is it sort of the, the same number of core events you're doing? So we're held under the racing calendar, so it's called the pattern. So there's a certain number of race days that we can do each year. Um, our main event is Royal Ascot, so um, we'd normally have 70,000 people a day for the five-day period of that, which is in June, which is the week after the Platinum Jubilee um, this year. Uh, we've reduced our capacity very slightly, having been part of the, um, um, completely forgot the name of it, the event trials that went through on COVID. Event research program. Yeah, it's part of the ERP. Um, we ran Royal Ascot last year with only 12,000 people a day. Um, and we had the, the highest number of thank you letters from the customers saying, this is amazing, could you do this forever? <laughs> we sort of said, I no. don't think so. <laughs> but we're really glad you had a great time this year. Remember it. We, uh, we called it sort of like, a, instead of a great big masterpiece, it was like a little miniature painting that was done. It was very beautiful. Um, although we have biblical rain. But um, so this year we've actually reduced our capacities by around about 10% overall and we decided to, to maintain that. So a lot of the spaces have actually got almost 20% fewer people in them. But we haven't changed our infrastructure. So the reason to do that is to elevate the customer experience to drive demand so that, um, but we're maintaining all of our tentage, all of our toilets, temporary toilets. I mean, it seemed that almost every temporary toilet supplier went bust during COVID and sold their stuff and there are, trailer toilets on farms and pick your owns and campsites and they all got sold out so it wasn't even that they got picked up and and bought by another supplier they're just not even in in existence in the event model anymore so we're finding those sorts of challenges um and as well sort of wood seems to be a, a real problem particularly since uh since brexit um we just can't get the great big sheets of of, of ply that we would be to build walls so all of our marquees turn into full hospitality restaurants. They, I mean, they look like a room when you walk into them. They have dado rails and skirting boards and all sorts of things. And actually, that's where we're sort of going again. We've done the PO. We've put the order in with the, with the wood manufacturers. And, and we're just kind of going, OK, each week we're pulling down the amount and hoping. And they're saying, well, we're trying to make it back end. But there was no production during COVID. So that's one of the really big challenges is that some of the stuff that just normally would be produced constantly just wasn't being made during that period so there's a deficit there as well so we're looking at the same number of events um smaller smaller numbers of people but the same infrastructure um, and actually we've taken it as an opportunity to really develop the event grow it see it from a different point of view and, and focus on customer experience but again we're exactly like you we've raised the po's but fingers are crossed that it's actually going to turn up yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking if you're elevating the customer experience by making the um, you know making it less congested, if you like, in terms of the number of people there, um, and you've got cost of everything rising, 
how is that being reflected in the ticket price? Um, so this year we have we haven't increased the ticket prices. We've kept it. Again, we've got the same chances with rollover tickets. So we've got a lot of the the rollover. Um, money from 2020 and then we rolled to 2021 and then we've rolled again so you know there's quite quite a, a lot of bouncing so most of our fine dining hospitality went was already gone before we sort of went on sale our public ticket sales are there um, we're maintaining it this year the idea is that we try and level out the five days so at the moment Saturday's very busy Tuesday's very busy Wednesday less so Thursday's very busy Friday different audience we're trying to just level that out and drive demand to the other days so that's how we're we're, we're trying to offset those those cost rises but they are they are a concern yeah absolutely okay sarah can you give me an idea of what you know just, just a picture of what your key products are this year i know you've just been doing the bristol uh, yeah, light just, festival just i'm a bit tired i just literally finished bristol light festival um tuesday uh yesterday even uh so uh, then we're sort of into uh, our next wave we've actually got our busiest year ever coming up um, so we start with the Eirithau Steadford, which uh, for those of you from Wales will know is a large youth cultural event, um, working primarily uh, with Neptunus, who's our structures contractor on that. Uh, that runs for a week, it's a fully televised event uh, across the week. Um, so that goes on site mid-April, it's quite an early one. And then I roll straight into 45 days of back-to-back -back Ed Sheeran shows across five UK stadiums, courtesy of Kilimanjaro Live and AEG Presents. Uh, so I've got that run, I've got uh, other teams in my company out working on a series of um, sort of one day, you know, Michael Bublé's um, Tears for Fears, Olly Moors, you know, all that uh, type of music across um, uh, sites in Wales, Exeter, um, we do cue the music, like we've got Bloodstock Festival, we've got lots and lots of things going on. But for us, we have a sort of fairly regular client base and then our workload flexes with the amount of shows that client is putting on so we don't have control of that we just have to kind of plan it and plot it and make it work as best we can so i mean everyone's really aware of what, what you know hurdles we have and what challenges we have in the supply chain so are um promoters and production companies working closer more hand in hand if you like with, with suppliers to get through this year um yeah i mean i think one of the really positive things that came out of uh covid was um, how we came together and, and competitors and um, I think enemies is probably a strong word, but competitors and uh, suppliers, promoters, um, crews all came together through the various networks of We Make Events or um, Keep It Live or, you know, all the different groups that were there. So in some ways, COVID created a kind of um, non-competitive synergy between people and everyone sort of um, had that dialogue and came together weekly or monthly or however soon they were meeting. So I think coming out of the pandemic, we'd all sort of regrouped a little bit. And I ran the campaign in Wales. And, and even like our small team that we would meet on the Zoom every week, you know, there were people on that call who, through various kind of business practices, have become competitors, they've fallen out with each other, whatever. We all came back together. And I was kind of like really moved by that in a way that I was like, if COVID hadn't happened, these people would never have regrouped. We'd have never had these conversations. So going forward, uh, particularly at a site we run, uh, Castle, <laughs> there's the, the castle obviously trying to maximise their income, so they've kind of overbooked in some ways. So we're having to work together with our local competitors, um, who were part of my We Make Events group, 
uh, and we're actually meeting together. We're holding one conversation. We're looking where we can share infrastructure. We're just looking to decrease the amount of movement of kit in and out. We're um, kind of sharing information on which security companies are going to work with. So again, we can offer better bundles and better packages so that they can keep staff in one place. Um, you know, so we're trying to work so that we haven't got to take down one bar marquee to put up a different bar marquee and keep the same bar marquee. Do you know what I mean? So, and I think that's a real positive that came from the experience we've all had over the last two years to really try and work together. And like I spoke to um, someone the other day in the industry who was a, a provider of stage barrier. And he was like, Sarah, you're the only person that's rung me. He said, everyone else has just been really shitty on email. But he was like, you know, just, I just want people to reach out. I, I physically can't do something I can't do. And he said, and I just don't want people to be cross at me because I can't do it. I just don't have the kit available. I was like, oh, okay. But, you know, so I think, you know, we've got a bit seduced into the email world. I think let's go back to the telephone. Let's talk to each other and just kind of work together. Because we've only got each other and we learned that during COVID. We have only got each other. We do this crazy job in this crazy world, which is getting even more crazier by the day. Like, you know, we are doing something fairly frivolous in terms of the scheme of the world. You know, we have to work together. We have to come together and we have to look after each other. And that's my kind of greatest fear going through this year is that something will go very wrong where people are just pushing too hard. You know, we are only human and have a limit. Okay, thank you. Um, Nick, I mean, obviously, you're being very careful in terms of not pushing too hard in terms of the event numbers you're doing, uh, as you just mentioned a minute ago. But are you seeing any positive steps um, in terms of the way that production companies like yourselves or your competitors and promoters are working with the, the guys in the, in the supply chain to, to get through this year and make sure that we're in a better place next year, if that's possible? Uh, I, mean, I think, as Sarah alluded to, during the pandemic, there was lots of sentiment towards collaboration. Uh, I would say that's being slightly disbanded now, especially like in the regions. I definitely have seen like conglomerate purchasing happening in terms of like rental equipment. But in London, I just, it's so aggressively competitive and that's driven from promoters. You know, obviously there is an infinite amount of kit. So people are being less, I would say, less collaborative. You know, we are working with two or three strategic partners, but I know loads of other production companies. There's a lot of land grabbing as well, you know, I've been talking about, which is where during the pandemic, people have been even made redundant from sort of bigger production companies. They've then gone off in partnerships, say two or three of them. And then I know of one particular company who's then run up every single client that I work for and undercut us by 50%. I mean, if I did that, I'd be bankrupt. So, but obviously if there's two or three of you, so it, that, that sort of circle seems to have been surpassed now. And I think it's, if, I, if I'll be truthful, I think it's, been more, it's more aggressive now than I've ever known it. Uh, in terms of A, the supply chain, there's quite a lot of friction there. We're trying to work with suppliers. Uh, but in London, I suppose, it just feels uh, there's only this infinite amount of kit and you're sometimes in an auction position. You know, I've had some suppliers who've worked for years that have just said, uh, unless you pay me three times that amount, I've got an offer out uh, for that and you need to pay me today. I just can't work like that and I just find it after all of the lobbying that I've, you know, loads of us were involved with trying to support that supply chain, it's a bit, it's, it's quite a hard thing to swallow. So loads of suppliers aren't doing that. You know, I know of many um, who are, you know, normalised and they explain the uplift. I get that, like haulier, you know, labour, fuel, that's all fine. But, you know, a polyjohn remains a polyjohn. If you bought it five years ago, that hasn't incrementally increased, not like the top market. So, um, so yeah, I, I, there's some collaboration, but I definitely feel it's in the regions more so than in London. 
Surely the long-term thinking from, from a supplier would be to maintain those relationships, be realistic and not maximise on an opportunity that might just be this one year. Hopefully, I mean, the market yeah. back to... You would think that. It's quite a short-term view, in my opinion. I might be wrong, but I do know of loads of suppliers, and I do think 2023 onwards, I think more and more suppliers, obviously there's a massive opportunity in the market, are going to come back, or new suppliers from construction or other sectors will come back to this industry, knowing you know, the profitability in it. So... I, I personally think it's a short-term view. And, and it's a small cluster. I'm not saying you know, it's industry-wide, but it's still concerning because then that can spread you know, throughout the industry and then you have a real, real problem. If you start seeing 50 60% increases, shows just won't happen, it won't work. It's that reminder, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we, we um, took care of our suppliers as best as we could over those two years. You know, we're quite lucky. We're a, a biggish company and we were able to sort of allow them to keep deposits and those sorts of things and um, and support them and talk to them and again, you know, be on the phone. <clears throat> and they said, you're one of the few venues that's actually rung us to say, you know, this is what's going on. We're not sure what's happening, but this is where we are this week and this is what our plan is and we're together and we're a partnership. And so now we're at this sort of stage, we've come out of that. There are a couple of times we've had to remind them that that was what happened a year ago or two years ago and we expect to have a little bit of that kind of coming back to us and I think what Nick's saying about the labour market about the kind of the costs that he's getting on product we're seeing that in the labour market and my concern is that if we don't all stabilise the, the pay rates we're actually going to again set a tone that we can't continue to fulfil um, again we're seeing chefs being paid you know 50, 60, 70 pounds an hour for sporting events in order to, to attract them because there's a shortage of, of all freelance staff. Um, but if we, we can't sustain those costs, so that, that's great for right now, but in a year's time, it just can't go on. So either everyone's going to have to go back down to the, to the sort of hourly rates they have been being paid, or you know, it would be better if we all just sort of set a tone as an industry and said, this is, this is what it is. We're all going to make sure we pay you enough and well, and we're going to give you great experiences and really good working environments to be in and we're going to let you be at wonderful events and you know all those sorts of things um but if we just keep doing this bartering it's just ridiculous yeah yeah i mean obviously it's, people are saying it's around about 30 percent loss of uh, people in the industry in terms of freelancers and professionals and people have moved um taken their skills to other sectors you know like film and tv etc etc but so on with bearing that in mind moving forward We've obviously got a job to do to attract people back into the industry, but we've also got a job to do to keep people in the industry, especially if they're working for a year like this year where there is a lack of staff, there is a major stress levels, there are people are in an industry where people are working long hours anyway and uh, the pressures are already quite high. I mean, Zach, what do you think, uh, I mean, anyone can answer this question, but I'll go to you, Zach. I mean, what, what do you think we should be doing as an industry to actively lure people back in and then retain that staff, you know? Yeah, it is a hard one because, you know, it's always a high-stress environment and there are people who obviously thrive in that, that really enjoy that sort of workplace. Um, but, you know, excuse my French, but, you know, it's taking the piss this year. So, you know, we, we currently have twice as many shows on sale as we ever have. And, and it's a rolling basis. Some happen, fortunately some happen, because there was a point when nothing happened. We just added and added and added. Um, but as we're, ad as we're doing them, we're also adding them. So our team of people who we have tried to grow, but recruitment's really tough at the moment. You just, there was a little phase where if we put out a job, we got every star in the industry applying because they'd 
a lot of the companies did make a lot of people redundant. But that seems to have been over now. So we're just, we're getting a handful of the level of um, applicants. These are our full-time jobs. But I'm very aware that, you know, anyone, it's, it's very obvious in our company particularly that the scale of work that our marketing, ticketing, finance teams are going through just to keep the touring stuff rolling through. Meanwhile, we've got, you know, with Sarah, one of the busiest summers we've ever had. Um, what we did do during the downtime, you know, we spent a lot of time hopefully making sure that our staff felt okay, knew what was going on, because obviously information has a lot of impact on mental health. Um, we, few, some of us did uh, mental health first aid courses. I did one myself. Um, another member of the team did. So that when we're out doing the shows this summer, we're going to offer that as a service to the wider crews, uh, the touring production, as well as um, you know, the local contractors and that as well. But I mean, I think, I feel like almost we have to just get to Christmas. And I feel like I said that last year as well, just got to get to Christmas, get this year done. And we will do it. That's the thing about this industry. We are so resilient and so resourceful. It'll be awful, but we'll do it. Uh, and that always makes it worse because we need to fail a little bit, I think, to say, actually, we have reached the end of it. Uh, but I think all we, we've just got to really watch out for people. I think that coming back from such a long period of either inactivity or different activity or just, you know, difficult uncertainty of what, what's next and what to expect, it's, it has taken a toll on people. And it's going to take a while for everyone to get back into their sort of match fit way of, you know, quick thinking and you know, some of the hours that we work are, you know, Maybe too much. Now, you know, we're in my team. When we did the Ed Sheeran tour in 2018, we really didn't much take a day off the entire run. It was about 50 days. Whereas this time, we have we've staffed up to a point where we're all going to get at least one 24 hours off, completely clear, and probably a travel day as well, which means you're not on the phone all the time running around the stadium. So we just need to be. I think we need to be better at understanding where the stresses are and try and reduce them where it doesn't have a massive impact on on the ability to run the show, but also just make people realize they can say, I just need to go and sit over there for five minutes and put my head down. You know, we have, we, I think we maybe have championed particularly resilient people too much and we need to maybe just step back a little bit there and understand that everyone's human. It's been a tough time and it's not over. Yeah, yeah. sorry, can I just jump in there? Yes, yeah, absolutely. What I was gonna say as well is I think we're gonna go through a massive transition phase now where we're going to bring, um, hopefully, attract uh, new new blood into our um, ecosystem. But that requires some training, that requires mentoring, that requires support. And so we've got like a journey now that, you know, we can attract new people into it. What we've lost is a lot of that sort of um, really experienced um, older generation who kind of just were like, oh, well, bugger it, we'll just retire or move on or whatever, go into consultancy, you know. Um, so I think, you know, with that new wave coming through now, we're going to enter a phase of a real inexperience. You know, we're going to see that in just even in local crews that are coming in. You're just going to have so many rookies that have just been grabbed, come and make up the numbers on particularly the stadium shows um, where you're looking for 150 guys, women, men, children, to do a load out. So, you know, we're going to end up with people who've never been in that environment who you know, don't really know that etiquette of just how to be on site, you know, um, just to have your wits about you when you're tired and it's late and there's forklifts moving, there's trucks moving, do you know what I mean? So we've got to be mindful that we're going to have a lot of inexperience on site this summer um, and, and this year. And we all as the uh, sort of um, generation that have been doing it for a long time have got to just take a step back and remember that somebody might be doing this for the first time, even though they might be... 30, 40, or they might be 18, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? So I think we've just got to have a little bit of patience that perhaps mm. we don't always have. 
I suppose, yeah, we've missed out on two years of the fees, yeah. haven't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's tons of courses and people who always want to run away and work in events. Do you know what I mean? That's, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's enough infrastructure at the bottom level, but what we need now is just to feed that right back through the system, which is what we need. And again, in terms of some of our suppliers, you know, they're going to be working on sites that they've never been to in their lives. You know, you can't assume anyone knows something that they've done before. You know, we've, we've got to sort of start again at, some, at a certain place. I was, can I just add, I think there's also a wider education piece. So, you know, when we talk about things like stress levels, there's also, we work on a lot of local authority lands. So we do a lot of greenfield sites, festivals. And I think there's an education piece that definitely needs to happen. I tried all of last summer, but you know, that also adds to our PM's, you know, production managers stress when you're getting overly criticized. Like they, you know, we had audits done on saying, oh, you're 5% short on security. And I was like, well, welcome to the world at the moment. You know, 5% is the result this year. Getting a show away last year was a result, regardless of what, you know, some of the minutiae of detail. I'd sit in ELTs debating things that happened three years ago. Last year, getting Steel Shield, getting Trackway, getting anything off to site mm. uh, and actually opening a show. So I think, and that just adds to stress because they weren't, you know, they didn't understand as much as I, you know, tried to explain, but I wasn't on all those shows. Uh, so I think, you know, that's also uh, an inherent educational void that sometimes local authorities haven't perhaps, you know, understood what we're going through. And this summer, I do think there is still that lack of lack of knowledge and some will think, oh yeah, it's going to be back to a normality because the pandemic's, you know, deemed to be over. It's not. This summer is going to be equally challenging. I think it's really important that's also... I think on, so, sorry, just on a very slightly different side of those two coins, we noticed that the customers who hadn't been to an event for two years didn't know how to behave either. So it wasn't only that there was the sort of stewarding challenges, but we were seeing quite a lot of like really scrappy little fights. And when we sort of started talking about it, we realized that they were all the kind of 17-year-olds who had been locked down and hadn't had the sort of big dog pat down that they would normally have got if they'd been going out to pubs and all of those other things. So it, it, that, that, that sort of gap, that two-year sort of you know, and sometimes it's a beautiful nirvana of quiet and gardens and loveliness, but actually it's, it has done that. And the event professionals who have been doing it for years and are used to, you know, I've produced Royal Ascot for 12 years now. And, um, and there is that sort of sense you go, I can't quite remember what to do. And it, it's, it's, it's a little bit scary, isn't it? Even when you, it's your bread and butter, you've been doing yeah. it, you know, in your sleep. And we've realized that audiences can't just find stuff out for themselves anymore. I think that they have that the level of questions we're getting through our customer service, it's it's quite, you know, it's worrying really. You want to have to go around their houses, hold their hands and say, this is how you use your ticket. This is how you buy beer. This is what we use for, for, like, for currency. And because the question, normally like, oh, it's on the FAQs so or we'll work it out and we get there. And we just see, because we did a bunch of Christmas shows last year and you know, the level of questions that people, I think it's because when all the rules came in and like the changing and you have to stay on top of it all, there's just this level of, oh, I need to know everything before I go. Uh, that's been quite challenging. I was just going to say, we were we had this conversation a few uh, months ago. Actually, you, you made a really interesting point. On the sub- I can hear you okay, Okay, I, I can't hear myself. On the subject of bringing and attracting people back into the industry, I just thought we had this interesting conversation where you were talking about the fact that some younger people, you know, were being offered uh, work to come in and, um, you know, a certain amount of money for working behind the bars or whatever. 
uh, and just turning it down because they'd rather stay at home because they'd been at home for a couple of years and they've got their whole behavioural mm. uh, rhythm had changed, if you like, their habits had changed. They just weren't that bothered about, you know, the money. They weren't that aspirational to get out. And, so I don't know how, is, is that, is, was, was that just a sort of one-off experience, do you think, or is that a wider kind of malaise in the, the younger generation that we're trying to attract into this industry and make it seem attractive to them? I, I think that there is a, a cultural shift. I don't know whether that's just about COVID um, and the lockdown or whether that's just around environment and, and need and, and material things. I think there are a lot of people who um, are just sort of saying, well, I have enough. I'm, I'm going to live with my mum. I'm never going to be able to afford a house, so I, I don't need to pay rent. But I have enough, so I don't have that desire to go out and work. And the case you were talking about was some bar staff and um, the, the dad was desperate. He had a son and a stepson and he was desperate for, to, to come to Ascot on Saturday and he was short of staff. So he texted both of them and the son, I think, you know, biologically went, yeah, all right then. Um, and the stepson, it's 150 quid for a day shift. And he just said, oh, can't really be asked. Um, and you just sort of go, you know, if you gave me 150 quid for a Saturday, I'd come out and work even now. And it's, it's just this sort of different mindset. And I think for a lot of them, they don't have the same need to buy stuff. And hopefully with the advent of new events, with the, you know, the fact that they're happening, that festivals are going to happen for the first time, you know, people are actually going to be saving up to do these things. And we'll start seeing that sort of attitude towards gig, the gig economy staff. And <clears throat> you look at other nations, and being a waitress is, or a waiter is a career. You know, that's what you do, and you're proud of it, and you're proud to serve. I was watching that wonderful Monica um, Gillespie um, film on the, the super hotels, and they were talking about the pride that you have in serving people. And I really identified with that, because for me, that's what I love. I love looking out at the people and going, I did that. You all are having a great time, because I've done all of that for you. It's, that's the drive. And it's the same when you're a waitress or a barman. You know, you're, you're providing these wonderful experiences for people and, it, and it's lovely. But we can't take that with us. We don't have any passport that says I've worked at Ascot and I've worked at Glastonbury and they gave me five stars and I'm a really great waitress and therefore you should put me in here and I should achieve your top rates. You know, if we had some kind of standardization that they could take with them and we started making it more of a profession, I think, and again, in security, that would really, really help. You know, we have security people who are thrown out of Glastonbury and then they get a job with a different security company and then they turn up at the next event and they get thrown out and then they turn up at, you know, and all of those sorts of things. And actually, if we could start qualifying, not necessarily qualifying, but almost quantifying the staff, you know, and, and approving them. Um, and then when they came, you could, they, they could elevate themselves mm. and it would feel like something to belong to. I think that was it. When we stopped having the events, they all went, okay, well, I don't belong anywhere because they didn't have all of the gangs like Sarah ringing each other up and the race courses for the first time all got on Zoom calls and all went, oh, hello, I don't normally talk to you, Huntingdon. You know, and they're like, oh, it's Ascot, you're really big. <laughs> um, you know, but we'd all have those conversations and help each other and really get stuck in. But these, these gig economy staff, they, they didn't have anyone to do that with. Nobody rang them to check they were okay. So and I think the students, because the students missed out on their years of their normal university life where they may have wanted the beer money. So they'll go and, you know, if they want to go to a festival, they go and work one day, go to the festival the next day. That didn't happen. Those kids didn't have that experience. So they missed out on the drive, I suppose, maybe, to, that normally comes from it. Is there anything the industry can do to kind of resolve that? I mean, is there anything that we can do to... It's a, it's a sort of, it, I mean, it is an attractive industry, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a very exciting industry. You look at it and it's, it's, it's you know 
huge sporting events, huge music events. It's all, you know, the productions are amazing. To me, it's an unbelievably exciting industry to be involved in. Um, but can the industry work collectively in any way, do you think, to kind of entice that generation in and, and make them see that? I mean, obviously, there, there are educational courses around the country, but I'm just wondering if, they, if you feel that there's a, a piece there that the industry could collectively work on to, to, to sell it better to that generation. I mean, there's, um, it goes back further than, you know, by the time they get to university, they've kind of made a choice. I mean, I don't, so many of the jobs in our industry, people don't actually know exist. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're like, although people go to things, they don't realise all the jobs behind it or the roles behind what puts a gig on in their local uh, music venue or what puts on something like Royal Ascot. People don't um, uh, have, an, have a sense of that from quite a young age. And, and for me, you know, sort of within the education system, that's where, the, you know, your teachers, you're looking for aspirations to kind of find a path. So it goes right back and God knows how we penetrate the education system. It's, mm. It always seems like it's in a state of chaos to me. But, um, uh, but it's, it's in, inspiring young people and people who don't necessarily need to have a degree, but need people with degrees, want people who want to enjoy what they do and work really hard. So I think, um, like Joe said there, it's about creating that sort of sense of professional, uh, coming into a profession, you know, um, but for me, it goes right back to sort of teenagers and getting them excited about what's I'm, I'm out there in the world. I'm off to talk to my niece's guides group at the end of the month. Yeah. They're like, can you come and tell us what you do? Yep, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that sort of thing. The advocacy. We're all responsible for the next generation. There's no point in us working this hard if there's no one to hand it over to. Mm -hmm. So we, we're all responsible for that advocacy. And actually, I was chatting with um, Jeff Gorringe of Sunbelt the other week, and he was saying, oh, you know, what would you do if you had that million-dollar pot? What would you do? And I said, I would spend every day telling people how brilliant our industry is and all the different things you can do, you know, in it. Because I just think if you get people excited, they'll want to join you. And it's so diverse and, you know, anyone can be anything you want to be and you can be whoever you want to be in this world. There's so many jobs where you can't do that. I mean, I've worked for 30 years. I don't think I've ever had two days the same. It's like amazing, you know, but we have to tell and inspire the younger generation to come through and join us. Mm. I think you mentioned something there which is really important. It's hard work. You know, I, uh, we had um, one of the directors at work, uh, three children came and worked um, as waiters in the boxes uh, at Royal Ascot. And she came in uh, to a board meeting the next week. She's like, they had to stand up all day. This is inhumane. <laughs> and I was like, no, this is what hard work looks like, love. Um, and, you know, I think that's the thing. You know, if you've been at home and COVID and two years and, you know, and, and not even really leaving your bed to go to school, the idea of actually getting up, doing a 12, 14, you know, 18 hour day on your feet. Terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. On the subject of education, and back to your point, Nick, actually earlier on, um, in terms of the sort of you know, obviously we've got an incredibly difficult year. Local authorities need to understand what, this in, what, they, what the event professionals and voters and production people and everybody else are kind of going through this year. Um, if it's just done on a kind of one-to-one -one level at the time, it's not the message that we're going to get across. So what can we do as an industry more universally to kind of create that communication clearly? I mean, we've got, you know, we've had more collaboration in terms of industry associations this year than any, at any point in the history of this, this industry. You know, we've got live in the music side with uh, 13, you know, organisations coming under that umbrella. Um, so we have these kind of vessels, for want of a better way of putting it. You know, we have these kind of portals, we have these unified uh, bodies. Um, 
should they be the ones that are leading this and what, 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 what would you like to see done in that area? Uh, I mean, they exist. There's things like the LGA, there's, there's LAOG, that, you know, there are those associations that then cascade any information down to those local authorities. But it, it sometimes comes down to the simplicity of experience. So equally as we talk about experience within our industry, it, it's the same with local authorities. Obviously, loads of people were furloughed, loads of people got made redundant. Local authorities are also going through a torrid time and have been way before the pandemic. Uh, so with that, inherently, you get uh, potentially cheaper labour, and then with that, you're getting less experience. So, you know, we went to one particular district, so I won't mention well, what it was, but their sort of past experience was a very premium event. We were putting a live music event. They had no experience of that and were very, very nervous. And, you know, we went through hell to get that show live just because of that, even though we kept saying, speak to, you know, we've got loads of reference points for you. But, you know, again, maybe there's a lack of knowledge, embarrassment potentially of admitting that. Uh, so I think, you know, we need that, we need their engagement, but that they do exist. It's, uh, you know, it just needs to cascade down and be advocated by those local authorities and, you know, you've got primary authorities as well, they can advocate it through their networks. Okay. And I wanted to touch on the kind of, just going back just briefly, but I wanted to touch on the, 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 the mental health kind of issue, because obviously coming out of the pandemic, that's a universal issue, as the board, when we're talking about working in an industry that has incredibly high pressures, long hours, and as we were saying earlier on, you know, people are going to have to cover for people. Um, you know, we've got organisations like Music Support, and I think the conversation about mental health has kind of been much more open and honest and accepts as a broader acceptance, and it's, it's come out of the shadows, if you like, uh, in the last couple of years. So that's all really positive. Going forward, I mean, are you seeing enough uh, initiatives and hands-on to sort of help people across the industry? Are we looking after each other better as a result of the pandemic, would you say, um, Zach? Well, I'm, on, the, on the touring side of things, I mean, you know, the, the delivered shows are separate to what we do as promoters. We're kind of broker them into a venue. But I see a lot of the conversations that happen in that world. And there is now a, a real openness to saying if something's difficult and people are willing to hear it and do something about it. That I do think that the, the time down, it just gave everyone time just to stop and actually start talking to each other rather than always just running from one thing to the next. I think uh, music support is, you know, I've seen it everywhere. I've seen it on the back of toilet doors and it, it seems to have got a really be much better profile in the last 12 months, I'd say. Um, it's just that thing. We just need to not just get our heads down and go for it like we used to. We need to lift our heads up every now and then and make sure that there is space for those conversations to happen. I think everyone's got the willingness now. We just need to make sure it still happens even if we're, you know, hell for leather. I think just, sorry, just to add to that very briefly, to Sarah's point about getting people recruited into the industry. Obviously, at the moment, the advocacy level probably that those from within the industry is probably quite low, given what they've been through the last two years. So I think mental health really fulfills part of that. You know, if we're looking after people, then the advocacy is going to obviously increase and people will come to the industry because they're hearing from peer groups, you know, their friends groups saying it is great. But at the moment, it's that around the pub on a Friday, if they're allowed to because they're not on the show, uh, their advocacy level is probably not going to be overly high, is it? Because I know from, you know, they have had to work exceptionally. You know, it was a much more protracted season. It was really, really tough. I mean, I found it really, really tough. I've been doing it for a number of years. So, you know, even my advocacy level last year at the end of the season, I was not, you know, popping champagne and saying, <laughs> this is euphoric. I can't wait for next year. So I think that, you know, that stems around mental health as well and that support network. And like Zach says, it's much more open. Like it was, it was very stigmatizing for years. And now that does seemingly have been improved. 
and I mean, it's part of what Sarah's saying. We need to we need to recruit new people, but we need to hang on as well to everyone we can that's got experience. And it's the same as like you know, new mums coming coming back to work. They used to just leave the industry, but I've seen quite a few um, new parents trying to work out how to make that happen. Um, and I think you know we should be doing everything we can to make sure that every opportunity to retain talented, experienced people, we help them be successful. Yeah. Okay, um, I'm just going to open this up to the audience if anyone's got any questions for this uh, brilliant panel. Um, the microphone come around. Any? Hey, lady at the back. Thank you. Is, uh, is that okay? Uh, is the mic on? Yeah, we can hear you. Good. Thank you very much. It was really interesting. It's just to follow on from exactly what you were saying about looking after workers. Um, for people who don't know about its existence, there is a chapter on the Purple Guide that is all about worker welfare, and it's trying to um, help people who are coming into the industry as well as people who are actually in it to enjoy their work and have a brilliant time and goes through a checklist of things, useful information that workers might need before they go to an event, and sort of preparing them for what to expect there. So it's, um, I'm sorry, it's not a question, it's just to let people know that they don't know the information. Thank you for that, thank you. Hi, uh, Warren Fisher, Urban Audio Productions, Production Supplier. We're dealing at the moment with a lot of phone calls. I'm sure everybody in the audience is, and a few people on stage. We're dealing with phone calls from promoters who've sold tickets in 2019. Forgive me, I was a little bit late if you're repeating any of this. Um, how do the panel approach the 2022 pricing on a 2019 ticket price? Is there any suggestion, any thoughts you've got? Because we're having some very tricky conversations with long-term clients who are just not seeing it from our point of view. Like I said, we're a 360 production supplier. So anybody got an, an approach, a tactic, or? Well, I mean, we, we, have, we have several shows which we are carrying 2019 prices on. Um, our festival up in Inverness, or just outside Inverness. It's a sold out festival, it's been sold out for years. And we're, we're gonna be lucky to break even on it because um, the prices have gone up so much. We've lost some supplies to the market altogether, but by new ones. And our, our location in the country makes everything, out, you know, just getting stuff there is so expensive now. We are asking the suppliers not to, not to screw us over. We accept that there are price increases, but as Nick was saying earlier, there are some things that already existed that didn't need to be bought again, haven't been need to be maintained. But I feel, you know, if we, if we want to be able to trust the suppliers that they are giving us legitimate increases to cover their costs, we want to have a chance to make money as well. And as promoters, one of the worst things about our role is that we can be stood in a field where we've spent a year working on something and everybody on that field has made money except us. Everybody. The guy who's flipping the burgers and you know, the woman standing on a gate, they're all going home with more than they started with and we're not. So we do need, uh, you know, we need some support on the other side as well. We, need, we cannot give those tickets back now. We made this decision that it was better to keep our audience with us and take them with us in, in information-wise. We also thought it was only going to be three weeks long, so, you know, it'd be fine. Um, so, we, yeah, we, we are asking our suppliers just, you know, be, we'll always be, we, you know, we, we, have, we work with the same people year in, year out. 
I love a great relationship with the supplier. I'm not a big fan of just tendering for the sake of it. It's if you've done a good job, come back, do it again. Uh, but we really need the supplier to be fair to us as well. And, and as Nick was saying, some people aren't doing that. And if we can be confident that they are passing on true costs uh, and giving us a chance to be successful as well, because then we'll all be back next year and we'll, be, we'll have POs ready to go again. I think the tricky thing for some um, companies, though, I mean, obviously, Kilimanjaro is a, is a massive uh, company. Some of the smaller promoters, they just don't have that cash flow. They don't have that... Um, I don't know whether they've just won a prize or not. Um, and they don't have that uh, financial resource. Cash flow, that was uh, the bell. <laughs> yeah, cash flow. Um, they don't have that in their pot. And I think that's where those tricky conversations. I work with some smaller promoters, uh, uh, you know, uh, smaller company promoters. Uh, and for them, it's just simply a cash flow thing. Um, so where we're having tricky conversations and things have obviously gone up, it's then about trying to t- tweak the payment terms, maybe just to help that promoter manage that increase so you know there's so many different components and and some for some contractors uh, they they can keep their costs the same but they might have a second party or a third party that working with them might be a, a waste removal or something like that where they're held to ransom by those costs so so it's a complex picture but I think some of that really difficult conversation does come down to cash flow and, and financial yeah. uh- I agree with what you say on payment terms. I know for a fact we instigated a 25% deposit up front uh, last year and this year. I mean, two, what the panel said, two extremely difficult years we got ahead of us. <coughs> I think last year was very unique because it was so saturated. This, this year is incredibly unique because of the amount of events that are out there. I know we've had to make some seriously big capex expenditure. We, we mainly supply audio lights, you know, the usual AV stuff. One example we've got is uh, we do full production on a uh, 30,000 cap venue over at Ragley Hall. We've got a 57% increase uh, from, from literally 2021. And that's mainly to do with freelancers and costs outside our, you know, control. Outside our, our control, really. I mean, and, you know, and I totally agree with what you're saying about people and they want more money, but there has to be some standardization of freelancer rights because we... We lost, we lost probably 40% of our freelancers. We had 70 on our books. We lost 40% of freelancers. Like I say, we literally, I mean, unfortunately, I have to make them big decisions. We've had to buy ourselves out of a, a big supply chain issue hole. We've actually gone out to Europe looking for, you know, audio suppliers, light suppliers, and all of them have already been taken up in 2021. And, and I was, sorry, 2022. And also signed to 2023. So um, I think we're all in for a pretty tricky year with supply chain. And I really appreciate what you're talking about. I'm sure the people in the audience do as well. It's nice to hear people talk about education as well and bringing the next generation through. Something I'm strongly committed to. I have links with Access to Music, BIM. We're, we're based in Solely Auto Centre on Birmingham. And we've talked to them. And we've, we've got people through. But you're right in saying... There needs to be some sort of process between, Sarah, your level and, and uh, an intermediate level. And you know as well as I do, when you do an event, it's really tricky to have people shadowing you. So I think the local authorities need to look themselves in the mirror and say, I still love what I do, and I'm sure all the people in the audience and you guys love what you do. And that's the reason you work 19, 20 hours a day on a Greenfield site. And I just think that Somebody needs to challenge these local authorities and say, look, 
this is a great industry. These people love what they do. You know, look at what we do. Everybody lo loves live events, loves music festivals, loves going to racing. But you need to do something. And I don't know how we do that. Well, I think that the, um, the existence now of the live organisation is going to help because the one thing it's done and it's going to continue to do is quantify what this industry is. Because the you know, fishing, for example, the airline industry, they can tell you, this is how much money yeah. we bring in, this is how much staff we have, this is how much events we do, this is how much tax we pay. Live music's never had that because we're just we're working in our own little world. But that's now going to be done. There's, a, you know, there's an economist that's working with them each year to say to the government, this is who we are and we're worth looking at and we're worth you putting some investment into. Yeah, DCMS, all they care about is data. If you can start quantifying data, the value... Yeah. You know, of the industry, then they start to listen because otherwise it's just too soft, you know, in terms of like data. So. Sorry, can I just pick up on something? Uh, read the freelancers. I mean, I think we're all in for a sticky ride with freelancers, and I get it. They have they had a shitty time from the government in terms of what they could apply for if they could. Uh, you know, it's been really hard, but that kind of constant bartering and upping the rates and upping the rates and upping the rates, and, and that has, and like Joe said earlier, that it, it, it's sort of out of control at the moment. I've had people quoting me crazy money and I'm like hold on a minute you've never even done the job I'm asking you to do I'm trying to take you on a journey here and they're like oh yeah all right sir yeah sorry I just thought I'd chance me luck well you picked on the wrong sausage here mate so <laughs> do you know what I mean but I think you know and I'm worried in the middle of the season that if someone's stuck for a body someone's just going to whack the cash on the table and you're going to lose a member of staff because they're going to take the the, the the bigger cherry so I don't think that marketplace is going to sort itself out this summer but you're right, and I think the standardization of rates is tricky because everyone will say, well, I've got different experiences, I'm going to do different things, but there has to be a kind of position we get to where there's a bit more of a status quo around it because I know, like a lot of my production companies that we're working with, that was a the thing they wanted the early commitment for was to book crew, uh, you know, months, uh, we were booking crews before Christmas uh, for shows that we knew were in the bag just so that we had that resource. But even yesterday, I had someone come through and say, just been offered 16 weeks. I'm going to have to drop out of the show. And I'm like, ah, I get it. But shit, I got ahead of myself. And now I'm going to um, have to find someone that I, you know. So it's tricky. And I think that marketplace is definitely going to have a massive flux all summer. And we're not going to iron out the rate issue this year. But we do need to find a solution to that going forward because it's not sustainable, as Joe said earlier. I think it's about this sort of collaborative relationships. You know, you're talking about the fact that your prices have gone up by 57% and it's because of this, this, and this. Go to the venue, there's the, you know, the client, and talk to them about it and have those sort of open conversations. You know, your freelancer at si who's taken the 16 weeks job, you're not calling them first next year. That's their choice. Mm. And I think this is where you kind of have to remind people about those things because I think it's about this relationship. Now, Royal Ascot's been going for 300 plus years, we hope to be going on for another 150, 300, you know, more. So those relationships with the marquee companies, with the suppliers, all of that, we have to work collaboratively together and understand where the costs are coming from, why they're those, if it's about payment terms, if it's about subbing people, all those sorts of things. And then the people on the other side need to appreciate that this is not the moment to shaft everybody. This is the moment to hunker down together as an industry and, and have a sort of driving force forward so that we can keep this industry going and together um, and that we don't end up all broken again because we were a bit broken for a while. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. We're going to have to wrap this up, actually, because we're sort of running out of time. But just lastly, actually, Nick, um, just uh, 
one of the one final really real comment about with all the challenges that we've discussed. I mean, you know, we're doing we're in this industry because we love it. Um, it's an amazingly um, interesting in, uh, industry to be in with, with lots of very talented people who are used to working under all sorts of extraordinary conditions. But with so many challenges this year and with so many events just rammed into the calendar, um, are you confident we're going to come through this unscathed? Uh, I mean, I think, as, as Zach alluded to earlier, we're a very resilient, probably one of the most resilient sectors I know of. You know, we will get through it, but I am concerned about the catastrophic failures. Hopefully not our shows, but I just think some people have done, you know, quite a lot of land grabbing, taken on too much, you know, and have little experience in taking on too much. And the, the, the unfortunate point there is it's industry-wide, the impact. You know, it's not individualised, like if a show, something happens at a show, you know, you know, as horrendous as it was, that Astro World, that has an impact across the industry and then has a huge impact, like insurance claims, for example, insurance is now premium stock as it would do, you'd expect, you know, the underwriting market's gone a lot harder than it's ever been, obviously COVID as well. So I just think I am concerned about that, but we will get through it, you know, we always do, but I don't want that to be the premise of going forward, you know, just that, oh, you'll get through it, because then that spreads and that culture is not a healthy culture, is it? And then it, it leads back to sort of mental health and people's capacity, and then more people leave the industry, less advocacy. So I think we need to get through this year and all my focus is around next year, uh, you know, and hopefully a slight reset in a pricing, freelancers, you know, across the board and obviously supply chain as well, helping support them. Zach, just finally, your view on this year, will we come through it unscathed or do you expect to see some? I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some shows fall away. I think that, uh, you know, everyone's gone out with a sort of confidence. We've got, a, you know, talking live music, we've got an artist, we've got a venue, we've got an audience. But if they can't get the right fence to go around it or the right stage to stand on, I, I, you know, I'm aware of some challenges. Fortunately, not with us at the moment. I think at the moment we're going to be okay. It's all going to cost a lot, but we're going to be okay. But I, you know, I know, for example, there's one show that definitely hasn't got the floor that it needs, and I don't know what they're going to do about that. And it doesn't seem to exist, so I don't know what they're going to do about that. But you know, I think they're, you know, and as Nick was saying, you know, the the more regular and larger companies, perhaps, or the ones that have a, a steady um, supply for the suppliers to come and work up, might be okay. But the, anyone that's trying it out this year for the first time or try to expand, they they could hit some real bumps that could cause a problem. You know, I, I, I you know, I, I feel that. As a, uh, we will get through everyone through safely. Everyone will have a good time. The, the artists will get paid. Everyone will be fine. We'll just, we won't be very rich at the end of it. There'll be no new yachts for Christmas anyway. We'll just, we'll just be getting through this year, I think. Okay, great stuff. Well, thanks very much for all of you for coming. And um, not least to the panel. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, Chris. Want to learn more about the show that brings together event professionals from every sector? Visit eventproductionshow.co.uk.